Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, I don't know if I'd call normal what we're getting to now, but it is certainly trending in that direction. It's Friday, everybody. Welcome to the end of the week edition of Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Vespers, and this is, of course, a hoop ball presentation. I uh, hope you guys were okay with what we did on yesterday's pod. I, I mean, we're in this very weird year where very uh, big things are happening. Strange things are also happening, and it's all sort of happening simultaneously. And it just seemed like, I mean, w- there just wasn't basketball, really, to discuss on yesterday's show. I think we can get back into it a little bit today, although certainly the uh, the big news is still what exactly is happening. And it sounds like uh, the the plan is basically just to move everything back 72 hours. That's the, the feel, at least at the moment, is that things that were set to happen on Wednesday will happen on Saturday. Things that were set to happen on Thursday will happen on Sunday, and then you just sort of go from there. It's the beauty of having everybody in one place is you don't have to worry about uh, building in travel schedules and arena availabilities. The arenas are available. There was some suggestion that maybe they try to cram in games a little bit quicker to keep it rumbling, but they've actually dismantled the third arena. Remember, they were playing on three... Were there four at one point? At least three created basketball arenas in the bubble, and they took... They've peeled it back to just two now for the playoffs... So they can't really cram in more than what's happening. It's honestly, from this, from a safety standpoint, there needs to be enough time between games to get everything sanitized and cleaned up when the teams change hands. So uh, you're likely just going to get whatever was set to happen before. So uh, games from Wednesday will happen tomorrow, and uh, games from yesterday, Thursday, will happen on Saturday. Uh, Sunday, excuse me. Right now... Uh, the schedule is building it in as though a whole bunch of things that were set to happen on uh, Thursday could also happen. Some of the Wednesday games and Thursday games could all happen on Saturday. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think what you'll probably see is that uh, the series, Milwaukee, Orlando, Houston, OKC, and Lakers, Portland were the games that were going to be happening on Wednesday. So those probably will end up tomorrow. And then the games that were set to be on Thursday, which was Clippers, Mavs, uh, Jazz, Nuggets, those two Western Conference series continuing. And then it was also going to be the start of Raptors, Celtics. That'll probably happen on Saturday. And um, 
think that's it. I think that's as far as you can go because every other series we're waiting to conclude and then, you know, you can't move on to anybody else until that happens. So uh, I think that's likely what we're staring down the barrel of right now from a scheduling standpoint. And uh, we'll just we'll roll with those punches. We don't have official lines on a lot of these games yet. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that they'll be at least from when you sort of look back at what we were working with before, my guess is that they'll likely be uh, pretty close to what they were, um, but we won't have a podcast out for it. So right now, the only thing we're really looking at are futures odds, if you're looking at NBA. You have odds to win the championship. Lakers, by the way, are currently at plus 245. They are not the favorite right now. Clippers are the favorite at plus 240. I don't know if we're responsible for driving that number down. Maybe. Well, if Paul George is awake, we I feel a lot better about it. Raptors is still a plus 730. That's an interesting number. They're the best value on the board now. Bucks at plus 350. Celtics plus 900. Rockets plus 1,500. The Heat at plus 1,700 is uh, uttered. It's way too low. Um, yeah, I mean, Raptors is your value play there. The other stuff has kind of had the shine taken off. The other futures that you can bet over at mybookie.ag are the next head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans and the next head coach of the Brooklyn Nets because the Knicks head coaching and full coaching staff seems to be largely filled out now. Adrian Wojnarowski. Wojnarowski? Wojnarowski. I've heard it pronounced about 15 different ways. Woj! Tweeted out earlier this morning, Friday morning, that the Knicks are finalizing deals for Mike Woodson, Andy Greer, and uh, I believe that's Dise Yoshimoto to join Tom Thibodeau's staff as assistant coaches. So that's all more or less done. But for the Pels and the Nets, it's more or less the same list with slightly different odds. In fact, on the Brooklyn side, you can actually get Jay-Z as the next head coach for plus 3,300. <laughs> Uh, Teron Lua plus 200 is actually the favorite for both of those head coaching positions. So you could you could bet Ty Lu for both, uh, and if you hit one of them, you break even. Congratulations. No, that's not right. You win. You'd win money. Think of this math. Yeah. Absolutely. You'd have to lose both and then win two money to, to break even. Yeah, so you, if you think Ty Lue gets one of those two jobs, you could um, you could bet him for both. Uh, although the Pacers gig is open, so, you know, we, do we think he ends up in one of those two spots? Um, other names on this list, by the way, as long as we're going through some of this stuff. Again, this is over at mybookie.ag. There are partners in crime on the betting side. Head on over there. Use promo code HOOPBALL when you sign up. To unlock a 100% deposit match bonus, they will match whatever you deposit with free play of that exact same amount up to, I think, 1000 or 2000 bucks. So you can get a lot of free play over at MyBookie. They're, they're just, man, it's just easy over there. Times have changed so much. Remember like 10 years ago when, what was it? It was Bodog, right? Wasn't that the one 10 years ago? And everything was so dark and seedy. You never knew if you were going to be able to get your money back. It's not that way anymore. In fact, earlier this morning, uh, NBC Networks, the, the big guys, inked a deal with a sports betting platform. It's mainstream now, guys. 
I've told some of my friends about my bookie, and they were just like, they were like, oh, I don't know, is that gonna like get me in trouble somewhere? No, that's not how it works anymore. In the next five or six years, you'll be seeing it on your street corner. I mean, it's like it's getting easier by the day. Anyway, the other names on this list, uh, once again, that's mybookie.ag, promo code HOOPBALL. Go sign up, make your initial deposit with that promo code. Makes us look good. You'll have some fun. The other names on the New Orleans Pelicans side, uh, Jason Kidd, plus 250. Ime Udoka at plus 350. Mark Jackson and Kenny Atkinson are bus plus 400. Adrian Griffin, plus 500. Jeff Van Gundy, plus 600. Darvin Ham and Becky Hammond at, at uh, 10 to 1. Patrick Ewing, 12 to 1, and Mike Shashevsky at 20 to 1. On the net side, Jacques Vaughn, of course, slots in as the second favorite at plus 250. He's been really good. Dude has earned himself a long look as a full time head coach. Mark Jackson uh, is over there as well. He's slightly worse odds in Brooklyn at plus 300. Jason Kidd, slightly better at plus 400. Alvin Gentry. Is not going to get that job, but he's at plus 350. Uh, JVG, Darvin Ham, Becky Ham, and Ime Udoka, Pat Ewing. Those guys are all on the Nets list as well. Wes Unsell Jr. at plus 800 is one of the new names there. And uh, then I also mentioned Jay-Z. <laughs> Why? Why would you even do such a thing? Don't throw money away. That's no way to make money wagering. Don't You never, ne- never, never throw money away. I, I mean, that's like, come on. In terms of other things going on, since we can't really break down the upcoming games, since we don't officially know when they're going to be happening, uh, a couple pieces of news in the NBA, and then we'll spend a, a minute or two. Th- this can be the first foray into our what did we learn from the resumption, uh, the bubble seating games. But the big news is that Russell Westbrook apparently is a go in the Rockets' next game, which we believe is tomorrow. By all accounts, we believe it's tomorrow, but again, no lines out on that game yet. Um, what does that do for Houston? OKC's won the last two games in a row. He's had a couple extra days to rest his quad. You know, it, it makes them better, but there's always an adjustment. You know, they were they were figuring out a way to play without him. The way I think it actually helps them more than anything, for one, Houston is horrible when James Harden is off the floor. And this at least makes them serviceable when Harden's off the floor because, you know, assuming D'Antoni has his rotations right, there's never going to be a moment when one of his stars is not able to run the offense. You just can't... I mean, they are atrocious when Harden's not out there and Westbrook is on the shelf. So that's a big deal for them. Covering those, whatever it is, eight minutes a game when James Harden isn't playing... I know you're like, oh, only eight minutes, they can't survive that? No. You know, if they go minus six or seven in those eight minutes every single game, and if Westbrook is healthy, maybe they only go minus three, the difference between three or four points, that's a huge deal. Forget anything else he might do. So now there's the other issue is, you know, Westbrook is not a great three-point shooter, and he hasn't taken as many this year, which has helped his efficiency in a big way. But from a shot selection standpoint... He probably, eh, I would, all right, I'm going to just go out and say it. He makes them worse if he's taking shots down the stretch. That needs to be when Harden is the guy running the offense. And it isn't always going to be the case because at some point in there, Harden's going to be like, ah, I should let Russ do something. But he shouldn't. 
That's the spoiler here. Rush should be a guy that does all the Rush Superman-y stuff that he can do, flying and jumping. And I mean, he's in, he's insane. His athletic ability is is so crazy. It, he's one of the most, if not the most, exciting player in the NBA to watch. But that should be the first 43 minutes of the game. Westbrook should go bananas for 43 minutes, and then it's got to be Harden at the end. Has to be. The other thing I think, and you know this this will depend a little bit on how healthy he actually is right now, is he gives them someone that can probably stay in front of, say, a Dennis Schroeder, or should be able to. Houston's going to be doing all of their switching, etc., so pick and roll has not been the key for the Thunder, but beating their man has been. They've been beating their man. And Houston has no rim protection. That doesn't change with Westbrook back, but he's so quick and so explosive, he should be able to do a better job of keeping someone in front of him than, you know, I don't know, Jeff Green, who's actually played quite well, but isn't exactly fleet of foot these days. So that was the big injury news in the NBA. Uh, nothing else really outside of the uh, the continuing, um, I guess at this point we can call it the results of the boycott. That's what we're all kind of waiting on. And I don't know if this is all a one-to-one correlation thing, but uh, we have over the last 24 hours heard that Utah's Vivint Arena uh, and... Three megaplex theaters in and around, I believe, Salt Lake City will serve as general election polling stations. Uh, We also heard, the hell was the other team did it yesterday? Um, Honestly, I forget. But there was another arena that was tabbed to be part of the uh, general election polling station contingent yesterday as well. What was that one? So I don't know if this is a direct result of what the players are are asking ownership for, but I you know we know that voting has been at the forefront of all this, and it should be. You know, it's weird to me, and I'm not going to get too far into this because, look, a simple you guys know where I stand politically, and and I don't I don't actually think that that should be uh, a thing related to this comment, but shouldn't we want more people to vote? That's the thing that always freaks me out a little bit. You know, there's so many folks out there that are trying to make it harder. That just shouldn't be. It shouldn't matter who is the person that now suddenly finds it a little bit easier to vote. It should just be easier. It should be safe this year. I don't know that that's not a political statement, or it shouldn't be. If you got angry at me for saying it should be easier and safer for people to vote, that's crazy. It should be safer for you. You could be voting against me. You shouldn't have to risk your health to do it. It doesn't matter who we're picking. Uh, anyway, um, so that's happening. And we'll just, uh, you know, I said it on yesterday's pod. I think that there will be stuff that, that kind of trickles out over the next few days, few weeks that you can probably loosely trace back to the two-ish day NBA playoff boycott and the call for actual, tangible actions, things that need to be real listed things. 
as opposed to just, you know, let's paint stuff on a court. So we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. Um, all things good. Less killing, more equality. Hard to argue with that being good stuff. So I um, I pulled up my resumption league draft board and started to just you know, pick through it a little bit. And I don't know that I necessarily have a great idea for um, exactly how we should be assessing whether or not we got things right or wrong. Um, I don't know that... Uh, <laughs> this is like how do you, how do you even how do, how do you figure this out what what is what did we actually get right here you know maybe maybe we should just go through some names and figure out if we actually learned anything about these players because it's not like you can look at your resumption board and say oh here's some stuff that was good and here's stuff that was bad and we should act- absolutely take this into the next one it's it was a crapshoot to some degree. Uh, Dame was the best player in the bubble because he played two more games than James Harden. So Dame ended up being a really, a really good one. We had him at four on our board up there with Harden, AD, and actually Jokic was up towards the top of our board as well. And he actually wasn't very good in the bubble. Only played in seven games, finished at number 23 by totals. His heart just wasn't in it. But then look at some of the other names at the top. Maybe this is the better way to do it. Dame... Harden were the top two, so we got those. Thomas Bryant was number three. The question now I ask, and we've talked about this with some of the other guys, Yusuf Nurkic at four would be another example of this, Michael Porter at eight, Bogdan Bogdanovich at 11. I mean, get at it, Gary Trent at 14, but he, Bogdan and Gary Trent, I think, fall into sort of a, a slightly different category than Bryant, Nurk, and Porter, these are guys that are likely to be overdrafted because of eight games. So now, admittedly, you know, those were not ones we got right. There's a lot of stuff we didn't get right. I didn't think Cam Johnson was going to be number 16. I didn't think Cam Johnson was going to be better than Luka Doncic in the bubble. Eight-game sample size, guys. Weird things happen. Percentages matter, blah, 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 you know what. So uh, Rudy Gay at number 24 was a big surprise. Let's just go through some of the names here. This is by totals. I'm going to read you off the uh, the top 25, and I'll just offer up some thoughts on that. And and that'll be probably what we do for this Friday show because we're, we're in cruise control at this point. We're just talking playoff basketball for the most part. So it's Dame Harden, Bryant Nurk, TJ Warren was number five, which, by the way, uh, you know, having him at 47 on our board, yeah, we missed by 42 slots, but I still call that a win because I I believe, and I don't think, I mean, maybe somebody else knows this better than I do. I don't think anybody had him higher than we did. This It's kind of like Price is Right, you know? If you have a guy, if he exceeds everyone, but you were the closest, then you win. So I think that one we can actually probably call a little bit of a victory because I doubt many people were taking him at 45 until we told him to. Devin Booker at 6. I'd I'd love it if he had this level of, well, basically this assist-to-turnover ratio next year. That would be the next thing for him. 
and just uh, taking a couple more shots. I don't know if it's going to be that way. This had a little bit of giant sprint printed on it. But indeed, if you can help his decision-making, that will be the next step. Kristaps Porzingis was number seven in only six games. He was on his way to an even bigger mark than that uh, if, if he could have actually lasted the entire resumption. And think about that. That's crazy. He was number he was he and James Harden were the only two guys inside the top ten who didn't play at least seven games. Porzingis was number four on a per game basis. And I'm actually gonna call that a win also, because we had KP at eleven, which was earlier than almost anyone was taking him. He beat that mark in only six games. Michael Porter Jr. was at eight. Brooke Lopez was at nine. This was a big surprise. He was out there, and he was chucking. 14.3 shots per game from Brooke Lopez in the bubble. I don't know what came over that dude, but he certainly wasn't taking that many shots during the regular season. He only took 10 a game. He averaged 12 points during the regular season. He averaged 20 in the bubble. That came out of nowhere. Kudos, because I was afraid. I thought he was only going to play six games, maybe, and at his regular season pace, that wasn't going to be close to enough. He also shot over his head at the free throw line, 94% on 4.4 free throws per game. He got his two blocks, which you could always count on. That ended up being a really positive pick on a team where almost everyone else was an underperformer, which is what we predicted they would be. And then Brooke was the outlier there. Vooch was at number 10. That was a relatively easy one to call. We had him at 10. Spot on. Bogdan Bogdanovich at 11. We didn't have him nearly high enough. I mean, we knew he would have a bigger role. We had him at 84, so not even close there. We knew he'd have a bigger role. The thing that he did that was so nice is that he shot 47% for the bubble. Hit three and a half three-pointers a game and kept the turnovers down. I, I don't know that that type of number is sustainable, but... You know, he's in line for a better year next season because you know the Kings are just clearing out a path for him. Unless they... Anyway, keep an eye on him. Kawhi Leonard was at number 12. Um, we were a little bit high on him. Kawhi couldn't shoot for some reason in the bubble for at least a handful of games. He ended up at 48%, which isn't bad, but he only played in six games. I thought he'd get into seven. Uh, if he gets in one more game, he probably jumps up to number nine, which wouldn't have been that far off. Rob Covington at 13, that's a big win on our board. We had him at 18, and no one else was even remotely close to that number. Rob is just, he did it shooting 34%, people. If he was even, if he wasn't even near his career mark around 40 or 41, he'd have been inside the first round easily. Played in seven games. He actually sat one out, averaged 10 and 9 with two assists and 4.1 defensive stats combined. And then you got sort of the weird stuff, like Gary Trent, 17 points in the bubble. How's that gone for him since the bubble? Yeah, not so great. So that, I think we can file in the nope category. DeMar DeRozan was at number 15. That was a big win for folks that risked it on Spurs. I was unwilling uh, because I thought they'd get eliminated in the first couple of games, and instead they ended up playing it all the way through, and DeMar had a big one. 58% he shot from the field in the bubble games. On a lower usage. Odd, right? Cam Johnson, you know, he'll be better next year. This is, I think, maybe one of those situations where you spotted a guy that was going to get a little bit more of a role going forward. Not this big. 
because Kelly Oubre Jr. didn't play. Those are his minutes, or at least he and, and Mikael Bridges are going to have to be splitting some of those. Anthony Davis was at number 17. He couldn't shoot at all in the bubble. I don't know what that was about. You know, we heard the Lakers had some issues perhaps with practice times or just isolation-related issues, but AD just wasn't himself. Uh, his blocks were down. His field goal percent was way down. This surprised the hell out of me. I, I mean, in seven games, he should have easily been inside the top five, and he just he wasn't right. Oh, well. Chris Paul, he was a little bit uh, down in the bubble for whatever reason. He was at number 18. I thought he would be better than that. Um, but again, some of this stuff, you have to look at where these got. Now, AD was a, a, a big disappointment. Chris Paul, you have to sort of you pull out a couple of the outliers, like pull out Cam Johnson, Gary Trent, because they ain't going to be there, and frankly, they probably shouldn't have been there, but they also get the eight-game boost. Uh, Bogdan got a little bit of an eight-game boost, although he did play well. And then you're looking at Chris Paul at, like, number 14, which is still off. We had him too high, but not going to kill you. Luka Doncic at 19. Um, we had Luka at 12, and I thought we were already going late on him, but he was behind that mark, uh, largely because of a lack of defensive stats and giant turnovers. Jonas Valanciunas at number 20. We had him at 29, and I thought we were already going really high. He beat it. I ah, love JV. Such an easy fantasy pick. CJ McCollum at 21. I thought we had him early at 35, and he beat it. Paul George at 22. That was uh, upsetting. We had him at 14, but he only played in six games. So if he plays in one more, we get him to about where we needed him. So we were just one game off. Thought he'd play in seven games, maybe six games in like half of a seventh. And that would have likely been enough to get him inside the top 20. Nikola Jokic at 23, huge disappointment. He just, he did not have the energy that he needed. Rudy Gay at 24, this was weird and probably won't continue when you get into a full regular season. And then Jason Tatum at 25 was also surprising. I thought for sure he'd be better than that. We had Tatum inside the top 10 and I think most people did. And it's not entirely clear why he ended up this low. Every, a lot of his numbers are good. I guess it's just that nothing was fantastic. 22 points, 3-3, three, three, 6 boards, 4 assists. All this stuff is good. Two defensive stats, 47% from the field, 85 at the free throw line. Turnovers were a little bit high. This is just one of those things where, like, it's the, it's the sample size. If the bubble went two more weeks and Tatum continued to put up those numbers, he'd probably just move from 25 to 15 because 10 guys would magically stop doing what they did. Rudy Gay would fall behind him. McCollum would fall behind him. JV would fall behind him. Cam Johnson, Gary Trent, all these names we just listed off again. Those are the guys that wouldn't be able to hold this for more than a couple of weeks. And that was kind of fun. So actually, we'll do more of that. Um, mm, we'll do more of that today. Well, a couple more today. I'm going to wrap it up just now. By the way, the NBA announced while we're on air that the, the games will officially resume tomorrow. So uh, that ended up being correct. And uh, we'll get playoff games on Saturday. Uh, let's do a couple more names on this list. Number 26 was uh, Nemanja Bjelica, which... Made a lot of sense once Marvin Bagley went back down, figured he would be uh, at least decent. This is better 
than expected. Um, he bounced around a lot in our rankings. When Bagley was going to play, we had him down. When Bagley was coming back, we moved him back up the board. I don't even remember where we ended up having him. We had him in like the 80s or something. So he, he definitely beat that mark with his usual assortment of uninteresting stats, but it was good enough. Here's an interesting one. Freddie Van Fleet was at 27, heavily because he only played in six games. We had him at 25, so almost nailed that one. If he plays one more game, he beats our mark. He didn't, so he was right behind it. Tyler Hero was at 28. That was a big surprise. I don't even give it. We had him on our list. But it didn't, um, <laughs> didn't hurt that Kendrick Nunn has basically fallen out of the heat rotation. DeAndre Ayton was at 29. Uh, I thought he'd be a little bit better than that. But he missed one COVID test, and he just there was like a weird lack of aggression with him. But honestly, it was okay because it was just more Devin Booker. Mikel Bridges at 30. That ended up being a big winner for anybody that took him. We had him at 60, and I thought that was relatively early already. Uh, but he blew that out of the water with no Kelly Oubre. To me... There was signs of aggression with him on the court, offensive aggression, and hopefully he can carry that over into next year. Jared Allen was at number 31. We didn't go high enough on him because he only played in six games. Um, he really he did take advantage. He played 34 minutes in the games he was active for. You know, I thought Brooklyn would... I thought they wouldn't roll him out there for that long and rest him, and they rested him, but they let him play when he was going. And uh, games he played, he was really good. So kudos to Jared Allen. Ricky Rubio, uh, number 32. Basically, we missed on all the Phoenix Suns because any, uh, I mean, anyone who looked at the standings would immediately assume Phoenix was not going to be fantasy relevant during the bubble, that they were going to fall out within a, a two, three games at most and then start resting guys. And then they played the whole way through. Mello played all eight games and was actually pretty good. He was number 33, missed that one by a lot. Derek White was stellar at 34. We knew he would be very good. Keldon Johnson? Come on, guys. Not even going to dignify that one with more information. Duncan Robinson was at number 36. That was uh, way better than expected. And we had him at 69. I thought that was really early already. That might actually be a win for us. I don't know if anybody had him earlier than 69. Javon Carter was at number 37. Uh, again, that was a came-out-of-nowhere kind of thing. Rudy Gobert was at 38. We had him relatively low, which I feel good about. We had him at 37. Nailed that one. Troy Brown Jr., we did not go high enough. He played better for Washington than I expected. Uh, Big-time stuff in the rebounding and assist departments. Uh, they really let him kind of cut loose. Timote Luau Cabarro. Uh, played only 23 minutes a game for Brooklyn, but because of guys resting, he ended up getting to do a whole bunch. We're zooming here, aren't we? Yeah, we're zooming a little bit. I don't know why we're zooming, but we're zooming. Uh, Jakob Pertl was at 41. Um, yeah, I mean, he overperformed. He played in all eight games. He wasn't particularly great on a night-to-night -night basis, but he sort of accumulated. Now we're getting to that, a real accumulation part of the list here. Dario Saric. In eight games, he didn't do much, but he accumulated, as did uh, a weirdly hot Kelly Olynyk for his seven games. Royce O'Neal uh, looked pretty good. Um, you know, did it with defense and rebounding. I mean, this is this is a weird chunk here. I don't know. I don't know how you, you know, Gordon Hayward, who um, 
got through seven games here before injuring himself in the playoffs. Jay Crowder at 46, figured he would be fine. This was actually better than expected. My guy Daniel Tice at 47. Ish Smith was at 48 with his usual issues. I mean, that's the thing. Chris Middleton at 49. Campaign at 50. I don't even know why we're breaking this down anymore. This stuff is all over the map. I mean, the reason you go through these things is to try to find something to use towards the future. And there's just... There's so little at this point because it's not like any of these guys we're listing off expanded their fantasy repertoire. Troy Brown Jr. is probably the closest thing you got there, but that's a team that's getting uh, John Wall and Bradley Beal back into the mix. So clearly that's not going to hold. And then you look at, you know, like, a, uh, I don't know, Kelly Olynyk, like he's actually going to stick in a rotation. It never happens. We've, we've been down this road too many times. Cameron Payne? It's not going to happen long term. The reason to go through these names is try to find something that maybe bucked a trend, something that a guy that showed us something new, Derek White getting a little more aggressive on offense. Is that something that can hold? Is uh, Royce O'Neal being a, a factor something that can hold? Probably not because of Boyan Bogdanovich. Ish Smith, he did the exact same stuff he always does, but somehow blocked a shot a game. And played in all eight. And that was the reason for or him being fantasy relevant. But, like, you know, look at next year. You'd obviously rather have Miles Turner than Ish Smith, even though one beat the other in the bubble. Darius Baisley, he had a couple of big games. It's all, uh, it's all a crapshoot at this point. So the reason, and what we can do this maybe early next week or maybe after the playoffs are over, but the reason to go through these names is not necessarily to see who ended up where, it's fun and to some degree kind of funny, but really to see, did anybody do something new or interesting? And the answer is yes, but that's why we we comb through them. Now, Grayson Allen being a three-point factor was a little bit interesting. Oh, not a guy you're going to draft. By the way, Giannis finished at 64 in the bubble, largely due to free throws. Ben McLemore finished at 65. I mean, you know, Jeremy Grant at 66. That's interesting. 18 points, three boards, a steal, almost a block. Good percentages. That's sustainable. Jeff Green at 68, not sustainable. Tyler Johnson at 69, not sustainable. John Morant managed to get inside the top 100. I figured he would get better next year. He was look, He looked pretty good in the bubble. Couldn't shoot, though. Not enough on the in the way of steals or threes or field goal percent. Those are the three that are weighing him down here. LeBron finished at 71. Free throw shooting field goal percent actually hurt him in the bubble. He wasn't shooting the ball well. Drew Eubanks, Garrett Temple, Tony Bradley, Mike Conley at 75. That was a little bit more in the area we wanted. Joel Embiid at 76. Missed games ended up hurting him in a big way. He just was kind of unspectacular. Marcus Smart at 77, that was normal. Jermichael Green, eh. Jimmy Butler at 79, but that's because he only played in four games. Goran Dragic only played in five. Goran shot the ball well. His percentages were good. That was uh, an outlier for him. Dylan Brooks at 81. He could actually be okay next year if he truly ends up as the other guy taking a bunch of shots on that team. Donovan Mitchell was only at 84. Jante Murray at 86 was a disappointment. Thought he'd be better. Mostly the field goal percent holding him down at 39. 
Uh, Al Horford around 90. We nailed that one. Shea at 91. That was, I don't know what the hell happened there. Karis LeVert at 93. Just knew that percentages, turnovers, stuff like that was going to hold him back. So, I mean, what are we even looking for at this point, right? You're just looking for names. Did anybody do something interesting, good or bad? That's probably about as far as it needs to go. This is somewhat of an unscripted Friday show. (laughs) You guys rolling along with me. Uh, Excited to see some games return, hoping that we continue to get interesting news out of the NBA ranks. And we'll just leave it at that. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Make sure to check out our buddies over at mybookie.ag and manscaped.com. And that's about it. Uh, Promo codes there are HoopBall for MyBookie and HoopBall20 for 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com. I'm Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Hey, if you have a moment, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know uh, what you're you're thinking. Maybe we'll get you involved over here. We're trying to build out our gambling division. Those guys over at HoopBallGaming on Twitter are doing a fantastic job. And uh, pretty soon they're going to be getting some football plays out to you. Okay, that's it for real this time. Have a great weekend, everybody. Back on Monday, we'll talk playoffs. They're back. We think. We do. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.